I have nothing planned today. Let me say that again. I got uh, nothing planned today. Simply a desire to hear from God. When we read the word, we should expect to hear from God. And so we're going to ask ourselves three questions as we read the word today. We're going to ask first, God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? The second question we're going to ask is, what is God revealing concerning people? And the third question we're going to ask is, what are you revealing, God, concerning me? What are you revealing concerning me? Pastor Scott knows I'm on that pink hat vibe. So we're coming with it today. But that's our that's our intention today is to spend that time to hear from God in his word. So let's pray. Father, we ask as we engage in your word today, Lord, I just pray that you would bless us. Lord, we know that every good gift, every good and perfect gift comes from above. And your word is perfect. Your word is it's revelatory. It reveals the character of who you are. It reveals your heart. It reveals your will. And it inspires us, Lord, to be conformed to your image, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit. So I ask as we engage today in your word, Lord, that you would bless us, Lord, grace us with your presence. Speak to us today as we read your word. And I ask that in your name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Numbers chapter 30. Let's do it. Verse one, then Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes concerning the children of Israel, saying, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Or if a woman makes a vow to the Lord and binds herself by some agreement while in her father's house, in her youth, and her father hears her vow in the agreement by which she is bound herself, and her father holds his peace, then all the vows shall stand, and every agreement with which she has bound herself shall stand. But if her father overrules her on the day that he hears, then none of her vows nor her agreements by which she has bound herself shall stand. And the Lord will release her because her father overruled her. If indeed she takes a husband while bound by her vows or by a rash utterance from her lips by which she bound herself and her husband hears it and makes no response to her on the day that he hears, then her vows shall stand and her agreements by which she bound herself shall stand. But if her husband overrules her, on the day that he hears it, he shall make a vow. So he shall make void her vow, which she took and what she uttered with her lips by which she bound herself and the Lord will release her. Also, any vow of a widow or a divorced woman by which she has bound herself shall stand against her. If she vowed in her husband's house or bound herself by an agreement with an oath, and her husband hears it and made no response to her and did not overrule her, then all her vows shall stand and every agreement by which she bound herself shall stand. But if her husband truly made them void on the day he heard them, then whatever proceeded from her lips concerning her vows or concerning the agreement binding her, it shall not stand. Her husband 
has made them void, and the Lord will release her. Every vow and every binding oath to afflict her soul, her husband may confirm it, or her husband may make it void. Mm. Now, if her husband makes no response, <clears throat> makes no response whatever to her from day to day, then he confirms all her vows or all the agreements that bind her. He confirms them because he made no response to her on the day that he heard them. But if he does make them void after he has heard them, then he shall bear her guilt. These are the statutes which the Lord commanded Moses between a man and his wife and between a father and his daughter in her house and in her father's house. Chapter 31. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take vengeance on the Midianites for the children of Israel. Afterward, you shall be gathered to your people. So Moses spoke to the people saying, arm some of yourselves for war and let them go against the Midianites to take vengeance for the Lord on Midian. A thousand from each tribe of all the tribes of Israel you shall send to war. So there, so, so there were recruited from the divisions of Israel 1,000 from each tribe, 12,000 armed for war. Then Moses sent them to war, 1,000 from each tribe. He sent them to, to the war with Phinehas, the son of Eliezer the priest, with the holy articles and the signal trumpets in his hand. And they warred against the Midianites, just as the Lord commanded Moses, and they killed all the males. They killed the kings of Midian with the rest of those who were killed, Evi, Rechem, Zer, Her, Reba, the five kings of Midian. Mm -hmm. Whoops, sorry. Balaam. Oh, sorry. Uh, the five kings of Midian. Balaam, the son of Behor, they also killed with the sword and the children of Israel took the women of Midian captive with their little ones and took the spoil and took as spoil all their cattle all their flocks and all their goods they also burned with fire all the cities where they dwelt and all their forts and they took all the spoil and all the booty of man and beast then they brought the captives the booty and the spoil to Moses to Eliezer the priests and to the congregation of the children of Israel to camp in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. And Moses, Eliezer the priests, and all the leaders of the congregation went to meet them outside the camp. But Moses was angry with the officers of the army, with the captains over two thousands, sorry, over thousands, and captains over hundreds who had come from battle. Moses said to them, have you kept all the women alive? Look, these women caused the children of Israel through counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. Now, therefore, kill every male child among the little ones and kill every woman who has known a man intimately. But keep alive for yourself the young girls who have not known a man intimately. And as for you, remain outside the camp seven days. Whoever has killed any person, whoever has touched any slain 
Purify yourselves and your captives on the third day and on the seventh day. Purify every garment, everything made of leather, everything woven with goat's hair, and everything made of wool. Then Eliezer the priest said to the men of war who had gone to the battle, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord commanded Moses. Only the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, the tin, and the lead, everything that can endure fire, you shall put through the fire, and it shall be clean, and it shall be purified with the water of purification. But all that cannot endure fire, you shall put through water, and you shall wash your clothes on the seventh day and be clean, and afterward you may come into the camp. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, count up the plunder that was taken of man and of beasts, you and Eleazar the priest and the chief fathers of the congregation and divide the plunder into two parts between those who took part in the war, who went out to battle and the congregation and levy a tribute for the Lord on the men of war out to battle. One of every 500 of the persons, the cattle, the donkey, and the sheep, take it from their half and give it to Eliezer, the priest, as a heave offering to the Lord. And from the children of Israel, half you shall take one of every 50, drawn from the persons, the cattle, the donkeys, and the sheep, from all the livestock, and give them to the Levites who keep charge of the tabernacle of the Lord. So Moses and Eliezer, the priests, did as the Lord commanded Moses. The booty remained from the plunder, which the men of war had taken, was 675,000 sheep, 72,000 cattle, 61,000 donkeys, and 32,000 persons in all, of women who had not known a man intimately. And half the portion of those who had gone out to war was in number 370,000, sorry, 370, sorry, 337,500 sheep. And the Lord's tribute of the sheep was 675. The cattle were 36,000, of which the Lord's tribute was 72. The donkeys were 35,000, of which the Lord's tribute was 61. The persons were 16,000, of which the Lord's tribute was 32 persons. So Moses gave the tribute, which was the Lord's heave offering to Eliezer the priest. Then the Lord, sorry, Eliezer the priest, as the Lord commanded Moses. And from the children of Israel's half, which the Lord separated from the men who fought, now the half belonging to the congregation was 337,500 sheep, 36,000 cattle, 30,500 donkeys, and 16,000 persons. And from the children of Israel, half Moses took one of every 50, drawn from man and beast, and gave them to the Levites to keep charge of the tabernacle of the Lord, as the Lord commanded Moses. Then the officers, who were over thousands of the army, the captains of thousands, the captains of hundreds, came near to Moses. And they said to Moses, your servants 
have taken account of men of war who are under our control, and not a man of us is missing. Therefore, we have brought an offering to the Lord, what every man found of ornaments of gold, armlets, bracelets, and signet rings, and earrings, and necklaces, to make atonement for ourselves before the Lord. So Moses and Eliezer the priests received the gold from them, all the fashioned ornaments, and all the gold offering that they offered to the Lord from the captains of thousands and captains of hundreds was 16,750 shekels. The men of war had taken spoil, every man for himself. And Moses and Eliezer the priests received the gold from the captains of thousands and of hundreds and brought it to the tabernacle of meeting as a memorial to the children of Israel before the Lord. Numbers 32. Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of livestock. And when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, they indeed, sorry, that indeed the region was a place for livestock. The children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spoke to Moses, to Eliezer the priest, and to the leaders of the congregation, saying, Ataroth, Dibon, Jazer, Nimrah, Heshbon, Elielah, Shebam, Nebo, and Beon. The, count, the country which the Lord defeated before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. Therefore, they said, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. Do not take us over the Jordan. And Moses said to the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, shall your brethren go to war while you sit here? Now, why will you discharge, disgorge the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord had given them? Thus your fathers did when I sent them away to Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For when they went up to the valley of Eshcol and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel so that they did not go into the land which the Lord had given them. So the Lord's anger was aroused on that day, and he swore an oath, saying, Surely none of the men who came from Egypt, from twenty years old and above, shall see the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me, <coughs> except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they wholly followed the Lord. So the Lord's anger was aroused against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness forty years, until all the generation that had done evil on the side of the Lord was gone. And look, you have risen in your father's place, a brood of sinful men, to increase still more the fierce anger of the Lord against Israel. For if you turn away from following him, he will once again leave them in the wilderness, and you will destroy all these people. Then they came near to him and said, We will build sheepfolds here for our livestock and cities for our little ones, but we ourselves will be armed, ready to go before the children of Israel until we have brought them to their place. And our little ones will dwell in the fortified city, cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until every one of the children of Israel has received its inheritance." For we will not inherit them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond, because our inheritance has fallen to us on the eastern side of the Jordan. Then Moses said to them, 
if you do this thing, if you arm yourselves before the Lord for war, and all your armed men cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his, his enemies before the Lord, and the land is subdued before the Lord, then afterward you may return and be blameless before the Lord and before Israel, and this land shall be your possession before the Lord. But if you do not do so, then take note, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Build cities for your little ones and foals for your sheep and do what has proceeded out of your mouth. And the children of Gad and the children of Reuben spoke to Moses saying, your servants will do as my Lord commands. Hmm. Our little ones, our wives, our flocks, and all our livestock will be there in the cities of Gilead. But your servants will cross over every man armed for war before the Lord to battle. Just as my Lord says, so Moses gave command concerning them to Eliezer, the priests, to Joshua, the son of Nun, and to the chief fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel. And Moses said to them, if the children of Gad and the children of Reuben cross over the Jordan with you, every man armed for battle before the Lord and the land subdued to you, then you shall give them the land of Gideon as an inheritance. But if they do not cross over armed with you they shall have <clears throat> they shall have possessions among you in the land of Canaan hmm then the children of Gad and the children of Reuben answered and said as the Lord has said to your servants so we will do we will cross over armed before the Lord into the land of Canaan but the possession of our inheritance shall remain on this side of the Jordan. So Moses gave to the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben and to half the tribe of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, the king of Sihon, son of Joseph, the, the kingdom of Sihon, king of the Amorites and the kingdom of Og, king of Bashan, the land with its cities within its borders, the cities of the surrounding city, the children of Gad built Dibon and Ataroth and Arar, Atroth and Sophon and Jazer and Jogbadah, sorry, Jogbaha, Beth Nimrah and Beth Haran, fortified cities, folds for sheep. And the children of Reuben built Heshbon and Elela and Kerjathium, Kerjathaim, sorry, Nebo and Baal Maon, their names being changed. And, and Shibma, they made other names to the cities which they built. And the children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, went to Gilead and took it and dispossessed the Amorites who were in it. So Moses gave Gilead to Machir, the son of Manasseh, and he dwelt in it. Also Jair, the son of Manasseh, went and took its small towns and called them Havoth Jair and Noba went and took Kenneth and its villages, and he called it Noba after its own name. I'm going to stop right here. Um, I'm gonna stop right here tomorrow. Tomorrow's Friday. And so tomorrow we will, we'll conclude um, our time together in the book of numbers. Um, so I'm going to stop here. 
And I just want to spend some time to reflect on what we've read. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for um, engaging us in your word. Thank you for speaking to us through your word. We bless you in this time. Amen. Um, this is an incredibly powerful journey for those of you who are engaged in this for the first time. I say that because I know what this was like for me when I first actually sat down and disciplined myself in the reading of the word, just to read it for myself. And, and I think if I were to look back in retrospect, I would say that the, um, by the grace of God, okay, not by my doing, not by anything that I get any credit for, by the grace of God, he gave me the capacity to read the scriptures with a degree of distance from the scripture. I'll explain to you what I mean by, by that. When I first decided to engage in God's word, like to truly engage in it, not just, okay, I'm reading and hearing, um, I, I separated myself from the text. And, I, and it's truly a gift. It was a gift that God gave me to allow me to do that because um, I know the natural propensity that we have that when we read, uh, when we read books in the Bible, or when we read the Bible, when we read anything, we we have a propensity to insert ourselves into the story. We have a propensity to make it about us. Does anybody hear that? We have a tendency to make it about us. And, and yet when I began to read the Bible again, I read it for myself, but I read it in a place of brokenness where I read it at a time when I was at a crossroads in my faith. I couldn't really admit that I was a Christian, but I was in a very, very dark place. And yet I was hearing from God. I, I know better now. But at the time, I, it was just a, a, a very, very awkward and, and weird place to be to have an encounter with God and not to be entirely sure what um, what it meant, how to, how to interpret it. I say that because when I got into the word, I literally read it in a place of desperation where I completely canceled anything anyone has ever said to me about what the Bible says. I completely deleted anything anyone ever attested to me about, well, this is what you're supposed to believe about God or about Jesus. And I said, I don't know what I believe, but I know there's somebody there. And that person is speaking to me. And now I'm going to read the one thing I know I have access to in order to discover who this person is that is speaking to me. That's how I got here. And it's the grace of God. And the reason why I say it is the grace of God, because when I first read it, I did not read it with any intention to insert myself in it. 
because I could not really attest to being a person of faith in Jesus Christ. I grew up in church, but I didn't know Jesus. And I think that's important because there are those of us who are cultural Christians. Um, we know church. We have spiritual experiences. And so sometimes because we have these spiritual experiences, and I have to make sure we make a distinction between spiritual experiences and emotional experiences. Because I find that there's some people who will define a deeply emotional experience as a spiritual experience. And not to say that they're mutually exclusive. It's only to say that just because you had a deeply emotional experience, it doesn't mean that you're having a spiritual experience. I have to, I have to make sure people have to understand that. Because um, we make those deeply emotional experiences spiritual. And that's not necessarily true either. They're just emotional. <laughs> um, and we are emotional beings. And so um, that's natural. It speaks to our soul. The emotion addresses the soul. But emotion is not what makes you spiritual. Has anybody seen a sad dog before? Has anybody seen a happy dog? Has anyone seen an angry dog? <laughs> there are happy dogs. There are sad dogs. There are angry dogs. There are happy cats, sad cats, angry cats. <laughs> we can go all day. Animals have emotions. So if you think emotion is what makes you spiritual, then sorry. That's not what makes you spiritual. That was just a side note. But I had an I, I had a spiritual experience, but I but but at that time I may have been just grown up in church. And so because I grew up in church, I knew church, but I didn't know Jesus. For many of us, we know church, but we don't really know Jesus. That's we just have to really come to uh to come to grips with that. We were fed um church. We were fed community. Because there's some great things about church, right? Community, accountability. Uh, church, some of your great experiences as a child may have been when you were in church. And, and so there's some good things about church. However, just because you're in a church doesn't mean you're having an encounter with Jesus. Okay. Uh, and that's the problem. I think for many people, I see it all the time. Like, you know, on Facebook, there used to be a distinction about, you know, what is your faith? And 90%, I believe the statistics were somewhere around 90% of uh, Americans would call themselves Christian and call themselves Christian. But they don't know Jesus. They just know the church. They have really emotional experiences in the church. And so they call that a spiritual experience. But what they've done is, is they've attached Jesus's name to the emotion of the experience. And then they attested to that. Or they attached Jesus's name to the institution. Or they attached Jesus's name to a man of God or a woman of God. They put Jesus's name on these things. And then over time, what happens is, is you begin to see the cracks in the foundation. You begin to see the cracks in the structure. You begin to see the cracks in the church. You start realizing the church is full of scumbags. You start realizing these people aren't really good. <laughs> or you start noticing 
some of these things if 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 if, if this is jesus then there's a problem with jesus <laughs> and the reason why is because you didn't see them as um people in in need of redemption who must be in christ but rather you saw christ on them you put christ on them and so because you put christ on them when you saw their imperfections you lost your faith in the process there are people right now their faith challenge is actually rooted in the brokenness they've experienced in the church it wasn't because um it's not because oh well you know they, they their faith was challenged because they just never believed jesus their faith was actually challenged because they put jesus on something that jesus was not they put jesus on something that jesus wasn't in or on they put jesus on the institution they put jesus in uh the cultural christian expression i'm saying all this because i want you to understand that when I got into my my challenge in faith was because I had yet to have separated my church experience from my own personal encounter with God. And because I had not separated my church experience with my own personal encounter with God, I, I got lost in the sauce. I got lost in the process. So when I got into the word, after I'd read through Romans, then I started reading through the entire New Testament. I only re- I read it for myself. This is why I have such a big passion for this, because I, I know the spirit of God is leading me into this. I've got 248 of y'all on TikTok right now. And for those of you, and I have what, 23 of y'all on IG, and I've got 11 of you on Facebook right now. And for those of you who are on right now, I want you to understand something. That it takes that place of personal encounter to truly grow in your faith with Jesus Christ. If you do not have your own personal encounter with him and all you have is just church politics, what your pastor said, what they said about the Bible, then you won't grow in him because God is relationship. He's not religion. He's relationship. And it's all fully embodied in Christ himself. I read, and this is another thing for you, is for those of you who are in this, you may actually have to go through this journey. My passion is for you. My heart is for you. For those of you who've been in that season in your life where you lost your faith because you saw the brokenness in the church. And not only... I know I'm ranting, but stay with me. But not only did you see the brokenness of the church, because you grew up on church, you didn't grow up on the word. Oh, man. You grew up on church. You didn't grow up on the word. They might have told you it was the word, but you grew up on church. You didn't grow up on the word because you never read it for yourself. You only simply took what your pastor said or what the preacher said about what the Bible said that because you weren't built on that, this is how you fall into false teaching is how you fall into all that because you weren't built on that. You weren't built on anything solid. Your faith was never on anything solid. Okay. So you may have had deeply emotional experiences. You may have actually had spiritual experiences, but none of those were really properly informed by scripture. And so the challenge that I have for you is you're going to have to delete 
almost everything. If you're going to really, if you're going to grow in this, you may have to delete everything you knew about what you grew up on and to truly find God for yourself. And that's the whole purpose of the scripture is for you to discover God, not to know the rules of being a Christian, not to know the rules of, of fitting into the club. Okay. Not, 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 not to know, Oh, these are the things that we ought to do in order to stay in the club for a lot of us. I'm sorry. I'm going to get into what we read today, but I, I have to preface all of this because I feel this weight and this burden for those who are here. There are some people here who are fundamentally profoundly broken by the years that they spent in church and in part and and I would attest that in large in large part your brokenness came from your lack of time in the word okay it's not to say that the people who hurt you or broke you or you know committed you know, whatever sins and, and, and misled you and, 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 you know, and hurt you. I mean, the church has hurt people in so many ways. I will not take that away. The church needs to own up to the way that it's hurt people. But in large part, people got hurt because they just didn't read the scripture for themselves. Ah, but the scripture is a blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on this law, he meditates day and night. Christians don't meditate now, day and night. We just took what the pastor said. Because now when it becomes about what the pastor says and what the woman of God says or what the man of God says, what the elder says, what the deacon says, what the leadership says, when it becomes about what they say and not simply what you're spending your time in the word with, guess what? You confine yourself to simply the relationship that you get out of church and not the relationship that you have in Christ. I don't know why I'm going here because I have to make sure I, I preface all of that. There are many of us, because we never read the word for ourselves, our actual primary concern for those of us who grew up in church and are cultural Christians, our primary concern was making sure we did what we need to do to fit in the club. Because it wasn't about a relationship with Jesus. It was about making sure we comply to whatever it is that the pastors and leaders tell us to comply to in order to fit in. And I like how you say that because we have to, for those of us who fell into that, see, I'm adding myself into that. We've all fallen into that. For those of us who fell into that, we have to take responsibility for that. I know you want to point fingers, but I just feel the the spirit of the Lord leading me here that I I have to, I have to, I have to also address you. I, I also have to address you. You've got to own some of this. You've got to own some of this because the word of God was not exclusive to your pastor. You have a Bible in your hand. You could have read it for yourself. 
The word of God was not simply exclusive to the man of God and the woman of God. You never actually went back home and, and read it for yourself and prayed over it and asked the Lord to speak to you. The, 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 you've got to own some of this family. You've got to take ownership to this. Yeah, my pastor, I, I guess they were teaching us the wrong things. They might have been teaching you the wrong things, but guess what? You have your Bible. It was. It's not like they're hiding it from you. You can go to Barnes and Noble and buy one. There's free apps now. There's a thing called version where you can just read it for yourself and you can see it for yourself and you can discover it for yourself. No one's keeping you from discovering Jesus. A lot of it we have to own for ourselves. We actually didn't do it. We actually didn't discipline ourselves in the Bible. We never really disciplined ourselves in the word. And that's why, ooh, I'm gonna go even deeper. I know I'm ranting and I'm gonna get to where the Lord is leading me in this text. And I have a few minutes, but stay with me. Um, and, and so because we haven't spent our time in the word, When someone comes with something that sounds partially true, we accept it. It's not true. It's just partially true. Uh, it's not accurate, but it's kind of true. And so because it's kind of true, we kind of go, okay, well, I guess maybe not realizing that I guess maybe is the reason why Eve ate the fruit. Not having the full truth is the, uh, I always say this, that half truth is the door into deception. And so we never get the full truth because we never go to confirm it for ourselves. Your pastor and I know I, I can, we'll go all day with this, but your pastor may not necessarily be your teacher. They're pastors that aren't good teachers of scripture, but they're good pastors. They care for the flock. Well, there are good teachers that are not good pastors. And so good teachers that are not just because someone is a good teacher of scripture doesn't mean they should be your pastor. Apostles may not make good prophets. Good prophets never make good pastors. And yet we like prophets. We like prophets to speak the word of God and to speak with boldness, who can articulate what God is saying in the moment. And then we go, I'm going to serve under his church. Well, no, he's a prophet. He should have never had a church in the first place. Good apostles are great and they're necessary in the body, in the body of Christ, but they may not be the person who pastors you. But the problem is, is that we've turned our pastors into teachers and that our pastors need to be good teachers. And so now we say, man, he's a good pastor, but he's a bad teacher. And sometimes it's the bad teaching and the good pastoring that has left you now suffocated in the word. Part of it is just that your pastor wasn't a good teacher, also didn't have good teaching as well on what a pastor ought to be doing. And so there's a brokenness on both sides. All this to say, family, that a lot of this, almost all of this gets resolved when you actually spend your time in the word. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. And when you read the scriptures, understand that you're not reading it simply to have intellectual understanding. We read the scriptures 
because it is spiritual food. And so as we read here, and I'm, as, as, as we look at the book of Numbers, you've been hearing me say this, and I'm going to sound like a broken record. But the blessing that God gave me, now I'm coming back, is that when I finally read the word for myself, because I was in a season of faith crisis, the grace of God allowed me to read his word with a degree of distance. My salvation came from my personal time in prayer and in the word. I actually, when I was in my faith crisis, I didn't look for a man of God or a woman of God or a preacher to lay hands on me and say, come to Jesus and all that. It was literally, I had a visitation with the Holy Spirit in a club. And I said, what the heck is going on? And I went home and guess what I did? I read the scripture for myself. I didn't go up to an altar. I didn't go up to an altar and say, I give my life to you today, Jesus, because this pastor preached such an anointed sermon. It was actually my time alone with God in Romans. That's right. And then through the New Testament. And then I read through the Old Testament. And this is what I did. And I'm praying because I, I believe I'm speaking to some people who've been broken by the church. And for those of you who've been broken by the church, this is where the spirit of God is leading me today. But those of you who have been broken by the church, there's some of it you have to own. I'm asking you today to own it. I want you to put that in the comments. I want you to put that in the chat. Own it. You have to own it. You have to own some of this is my fault. You have to own some of this is I just didn't read the word. You have to own some of this was I didn't. I didn't discipline myself in the scripture. You have to own that I had access to knowing who God was. I chose not to step in. You have to own it. Own it. Own it. Own it because that's where your deliverance comes from. That's where your that's where healing comes from. Salvation comes with repentance, and it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. I'm here to journey with you. That's right. Put it all over the chat, all over it, all over it. You have to own it. So if you're gonna own it, now spend time in your word. The same thing that kept you from growing in the grace of God is the very thing you have power to discipline yourself in. And I, I promise you this. I promise you this. If you read the word for yourself, <laughs> you will grow. I know it was a cheap little song that we did in Sunday school when we grew up. Some of you don't know. Some of you didn't grow up in church. Some of you growing that. Great. That's wonderful. Um, it might actually be better that you didn't grow up in church. I hate saying that. While there's some beautiful things in the church, it may actually have helped you if you didn't grow up in church because there's things you don't need to unlearn. For those who did grow up in church, there may be a lot of things you're going to need to unlearn. Okay? So you might actually be behind if you grew up in church, depending on what church you grew up in. Um, you might actually have to unlearn things because, because American Christianity, Western Christianity does not embody what we see in the scriptures. Okay. But you have to own it. You have to own it. And so you have the ability. And in Sunday school, it said, what was that? Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. 
It's so simple. <laughs> it's, it's literally that simple. How does this person move in the power of God? How does this person, how's this person growing like this? How do they have so much insight and wisdom? Where is all this coming from? He will say, Pastor Isaac, I wish I was where you are. I wish I was as close to Jesus as you are, Pastor. I wish I was on your level, Pastor. I wish I had. So I'm just going to come to you and I say to him, you have the same access to what I have access to. You have the same access. I'm not special. I'm not more special than you. You have the same access to what I have access to. I have a Bible. You can have a Bible. I have a time alone in prayer. You can have a time alone in prayer. Amen, somebody? So, when I began to grow, it's because I began to read. And I distanced myself from it I distanced myself and when I distanced myself from the scripture I began to see what the scripture was all about I began to see the big picture of the scripture I know I've gotten messages from a lot of you and there's some people who have been very uncomfortable with some of the things that I've said up to this point but I but I implore you if you just do this, you're going to begin to see how Jesus actually transforms your life. You're going to begin to see how the Lord transforms lost and broken people, not people who modify their behavior. Because a lot of times that's what we make church. We make church behavior modification, not transformation. So as we've been reading now through the Old Testament, I've asked you to do one thing, and I'm going to ask you to continue to do this thing along with me, is when we read through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, these five books are called the Pentateuch, five, Pentateuch, law. These are the five books of the Mosaic law. The five books of the Mosaic law were not written to you. You have to. I know this is going to make a lot of people uncomfortable because for a long time, that's what you were taught. But I pray that you would start over and read the text for what it's saying. These five books were written to the children of Israel. They were not written to you. God is telling a story about what he's doing for all of humanity through the backbone of a story about a family and a people. The Bible is about these people that God has restored all humanity to. And it's the children of Israel. So this law that we're reading about, you've read now, we're reading through Numbers and we're reading all these laws in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We're reading all these laws. Please hear me very, very carefully. They were not written to you. Okay? They were not written to you. But you're going to learn that they were written for you. 
Right now, we need to read it with a degree of separation. Do not fall into the temptation of inserting yourself into this text. You cannot. You can only see the implications of this text on you. Did you hear me? You can only see the implications of this text for you. But these laws were not written to you. These laws are revealing the holiness and the character of God, but they were not written to you. When we see the text, and I only have a couple of minutes, but I want you to see even the story. We're seeing the laws. Notice, this, this, is, this is a book that is written as a story of a people. When he's saying you, or like, for example, in Numbers chapter 30, since we, we, that's where we started. Is that where we started? No, we didn't start in Numbers 30. But we started with, no, we did start with Numbers 30. Hold on. Yeah, sorry about that, guys. Um, numbers 25. Okay, so if, if, if we look at Numbers 30, right, it's these laws concerning the vows. Look at it. When he says, then Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes concerning the children of Israel, saying, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Notice, read it for what it says, family. Then Moses spoke to who? To you? No, he spoke to the heads of the tribes concerning the children of Israel. Did he speak concerning you? No, he spoke to the heads of the tribes in verse 1 concerning the children of Israel. He says, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded. If a man makes a vow to the Lord, which man? I'm, I'm just, I know it's not a Bible study, but I want you, I want you to meditate on this real quick. He's, he says in, 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 um, in verse 2, If a man makes a vow to the Lord and swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Who is he talking to? You? Or is he talking to the children of Israel? Again, verse 1. Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes concerning the children of Israel, saying, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded. He's talking to the children of Israel. I know it's making people uncomfortable right now because you put a lot of religion into this. But he's talking to the children of Israel. Or if a woman makes a vow to the Lord and binds herself by some agreement while her father's house is in her youth and her father hears her vow. We, we just read all of that. Who is he talking to? He's talking to the children of Israel. If indeed she makes her husband while he's bound by her vows and a rash utterance from her lips by which she has bound herself and her husband hears it. Who is he talking to? He's talking to the children of Israel. Now watch. He's not talking to you, but it is for you and I'm going to explain to you how it is for you um, in when the chapter closes we just read all we read all those laws verse 16 it tells us these are the statutes which the Lord commanded Moses between a man and his wife and between a father and his daughter in her youth in her father's house this was a law written to the children of Israel Concerning the relationship between a man and his wife, between a father and his and his daughter. I, I want I want to leave you in that tension. 
This is not written to you. These aren't laws that you follow. These are laws that the children of Israel followed. And these aren't laws. I want to make sure you understand. When you begin to see the laws as it's written to the children of Israel, then you begin to see the system that is the character of God. And when you begin to see the system that is in character of God, then you begin to see how it embodies the nature of God, the personality of God. What you're doing here is you're getting to know God, not what God is telling you to do. Please, please, please. You need to create a degree of separation. You're getting to know the character of God, the person of God, the personality of God in this text. But it's not to be read as a rule written to you, but rather to reveal God. And we're learning something about God. God sees a distinction between men and women, and he sees a distinction between a man and his wife, and he sees this order by which he does things. But the Lord is going to reveal later on why he orders it in this way. We're not there yet, and I don't want to jump there. We're simply taking what we're reading. I want you to simply take what you're reading, not as rules that Christians need to follow to be good Christians. But what was written to the children of Israel concerning their relationships with each other that reveal the character in the heart of God. The question now is, why did God do it this way? We'll get those answers later on. <laughs> I hope this is helpful. I hope this is helpful. Then in, in Numbers chapter 30, 31, we see now a recruitment of the army of God. Okay, we see a recruitment of the of an army that goes into Midian and we see now that they take over Midian, right? They subdue the Midianites, they kill the kings. But remember, they already knew this because Balaam, right, who was the priest, was was possessed by the spirit of God and continued to profess and prophesy blessings of God. And Balaam, who actually prophesied the blessings of God to these men also died. Side note, just because you're speaking the word of God doesn't mean you're covered by God's grace. Oh man, oh, hold on. Let me stop here. Let me read the verse one more time for those of you who didn't notice it. In Numbers chapter 31 verse 8, they killed the sons of Midian with the rest of those who were killed. Evi, Rechem, Zer, Hur, and Reba, the five kings of Midian, Balaam, the son of Beor, they also killed with the sword. Balaam, the son of Beor, wasn't the Balaam that we read about yesterday in our reading rant yesterday? Wasn't, the, wasn't it the Balaam who prophesied the blessings of God on the children of Israel? Wasn't it Balaam who said, I'm going to submit to the voice of God and the word of God that I will only speak what God tells me to speak? Isn't it Balaam? And even though Balaam professed the blessings of God, Balaam was not covered by the same grace that the children of Israel were covered by. It just brings a warning to those of us who speak the word of God. Don't ever think that because you speak the word of God, that you speak, that you're covered by the grace of God. Did you hear me? Don't ever let the person who speaks the word of God. And don't ever think that because someone is prophesying God's word, 
okay? Don't ever think that because somebody's prophesying God's word that they're covered by the grace. Amen, somebody? By the way, I'm not going to address distractions. I know there's some people trying to distract on there. Um, just know I see I see it and it's 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 a word of no effect. So uh, those who are trying to distract, I, I'm, you know, I don't I, I don't concern myself. Uh, if I have nothing edifying to tell you, then I won't tell you. And some do not desire to hear the truth of the scripture. Okay, if what concerns you right now is that I'm preaching the word of God with a hat on, and if that's what concerns you, then it tells you your perspective. It tells you how small your perspective of Jesus is, and it tells you how little understanding you have of the scripture. Okay. Um, and so I don't just know that I see it and I'm not, I'm not entertaining it. Okay. You can stay and listen because I believe the Lord has a word for you. Um, but, uh, you have a very small view of Jesus and you have a very small view of the scripture. Um, the scripture that you're referring to with a man that must have his head covered, please read the five verses before that. And you'll know what it means for a man to have his head covered. Okay. God bless you. Um, and so, and so going back now, okay, I want you guys to, to see this now. These men go to war. They subdue the Midianites. Balaam is gone. The kings of Midian, the five kings of Midian, have all been killed. And now they begin to subdue the land that was promised to them. Okay. And after they subdue the land, and we can get into all of this later on, they divide the plunder, they divide, that's great stuff. We, read, we just read all that. I don't need to iterate it, but I have one thing I want to point out to you. Look at Numbers chapter 32, and I'm going to leave you with this thought, and then we're done, okay? I'm going to leave you with this thought, and we're done. In chapter 32, if you can go there real quick. The... Uh, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad saw opportunity in a land that was available to them in their conquest because they saw that they had livestock, right? They had lots of livestock and they saw a land that would be beneficial to the livestock that they have. Right, that that, that 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 they need to cultivate, and they see this land, and they know this land is part of the land that was promised to them, but it's on the other side of the Jordan. It's on this side of the Jordan. Yet the rest of the land that they need to, uh, uh, that they're going to uh, subdue, is on the other side of the Jordan. Pay attention. And so now that they see this land, they ask for permission. To take this land, meaning there were people already now resting in this land. And they say, let us settle here because this is comfortable. This is good for us. We, this works. This has everything we need. And so in verse five, they go to Moses and they say in verse five, therefore, they said, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. Do not take us over the Jordan. Watch this now. I'm getting to my point. 
And I hope this, I hope this sticks with you today as you meditate on this throughout the day. Okay. As you meditate on this throughout the day. So, so they asked for permission now to take this land and that they would not need to cross over the Jordan, but know what's over the Jordan. Remember, they're going to a land that's promised to them, but just because the land is promised to them doesn't mean that they don't need to fight for it. It's going to be war. They're going to need to fight for what God has given to them. Same way as just because God gives you something doesn't mean you don't fight for it. Another conversation for another day. And in verse 13, the scripture tells us that the Lord's anger was aroused against Israel. And he made them wander uh, until, uh, so he's reiterating, sorry, he's reiterating what had transpired from before. He's pointing them to the fact that the first people out of their fear and trepidation for going into the land that was promised, that they, um, that they failed to now go into the, uh, sorry, because of the land that, that was promised to them, they not only failed to go into that land, but that they would never go into that land, not even in this moment, but ever. God cursed them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. That's what it tells us in verse 13. So now he reminds them, don't be those people from back when we read a few chapters ago, when they were afraid because they felt like they looked like grasshoppers. They were afraid because they wouldn't go and fight for the land that was given to them. And so because they wouldn't fight for the land that was given to them, stay with me, family, they were subject to not receiving what God had promised to them. The promise of God now was given to the generation after them because they would not walk in and fight for what God had given them. And he's reminding the children of Gad and the children of Reuben about this. And this is what they say. Watch this now. In verse 18. They respond to the concern. In verse 18, they say, we will not return to our homes until every one of the children of Israel has received its inheritance. Ooh. This is going to get a little uncomfortable for those of us who we find ourselves on this side of the Jordan. I want to talk to the people who are on this side of the Jordan. And what do I mean by that? The children of Reuben and children of Gad are being given a land on this side of the Jordan. And on this side of the Jordan, because if they get this land that's given to them, they have everything they need on this side of the Jordan. Stay with me, fam. On this side of the Jordan, they have the grass, they have the land, they have the fortification, they have the homes, they have all these things on this side of the Jordan. They have everything they need on this side of the Jordan and they can settle on this side of the Jordan. They can settle here and be comfortable here. And yet what the Lord is saying to them is he says, if you stay on this side of the Jordan and you don't take your men of war to cross over to the other side of the Jordan with them, I'll curse the very thing that you have on this side of the Jordan. It's going to make some people uncomfortable here. 
but it's a word of conviction for us all. There is a, um, a blessing that they've received before everybody else. They're receiving the land that was promised to them before everyone else. And yet, even though they've received the land that was promised to them before everyone else, God is revealing in his character, his justice, that God's justice won't discount you for getting there first, but God's justice will discount you for staying there without helping others get to what the Lord had promised to them. He says to them, you can stay here and this can be yours, but you have to cross the Jordan with us. This is going to be an uncomfortable word for some people who've already got what God had for them. It's going to be uncomfortable for some people who have the resources, the food, who have the money, who have the families, who have what God had planned for them. There's some people who are on this side of the Jordan who have, I'm going to use a word that's going to be very, very uncomfortable, but who have privilege. You have the privilege of being able to find a home. You have the privilege of being able to eat. You have the privilege of being able to build your wealth. You have the privilege of being able to establish yourself. You have the privilege of doing all those things. But look at what God says. He says, I don't have a problem with you building what you have here. My problem is if you don't help others build what they have for them. If you don't send your men to war, to cross the Jordan, to fight for the land that was given to them, then what you have here won't be yours. And what you have here will be cursed. I don't know if anybody is catching what I'm reading here as I'm reading through this scripture. I hope, I know this might make some of us uncomfortable because there's some of us that are on this side of the Jordan. There are those of us on this side of the Jordan. We're comfortable. We don't have to worry about a meal. We have bank accounts with savings in it. We're able to get into whatever we need to get to and to do whatever we need to do. We're able to build our wealth. We're able to establish ourselves. We're able to do everything that God has for us. And yet, if we do this here and we see our fellow brothers and sisters who have not yet crossed the Jordan, and we don't arm ourselves to grow across the Jordan with them to help them fight for the very thing that God has for them, then the very thing that would have been a blessing to us now becomes a curse to us. I'm talking to somebody right now who is in, who is in a position on this side of the Jordan. I, I, it's a word of conviction for those who are on this side of the Jordan. For those who you don't worry about money, you don't worry about that. You, you, you've got a lot, but you look and you see there are others who are fighting for the things that come to you naturally. There are those of you right now who see what you get every day and you, it's not even that you don't take it for granted. You're thankful for it. It's not about being thankful for it, but the justice of God goes beyond simply your gratitude. God's righteousness and God's justice compels us to arm ourselves and to help those who haven't crossed the Jordan cross the Jordan because across the Jordan are going to be some things that they're going to need to fight for and they're going to need your help to do it. I've always said this, that privilege should not be something that you should feel guilty about. Let me say that again. This is about people with privilege. 
There, the people in the United States who have privilege over the rest of the world. There are people in the United States where one group has privilege over another group. There are people in one section of the world that have privilege over another section of the world. There are people who have economic privilege, political privilege, racial privilege, every form of privilege. And yet in a position of privilege, you should not feel guilty for it. Let me back that up for a moment. If you have privilege, and I've always said this to my brothers and sisters, whoever that I notice either have a lot of wealth because I sit down and I talk to people of immense wealth and I tell them, you know, you have a privilege that a lot of people don't have. You have a freedom that a lot of people don't have. And sometimes when I say it, immediately they get very defensive. And I say, you need to stop right there. You do not need to be defensive for your wealth. You do not need to be defensive for your race. You do not need to be defensive for your gender. Men have privilege over women. Men need to realize that. In the church of God, you have ecclesial privilege because we have prostrated our power over women in a way that does not glorify God. In America, white people generally have certain privileges that black people do not have. In this part of the world, in America, there are economic privileges that we have that those just a few miles south of us do not have. There is privilege all over the world. And yet here's what I'm saying to you, family. What I'm saying to you is privilege is not something that you should feel guilty about. Ah, as a man, I shouldn't feel guilty about the privilege that I have right now. Our privilege is not what we ought to feel guilty about, but rather our privilege should be seen as an opportunity. Our privilege should be seen as a power. Our privilege should be seen as an ability that can bring reconciliation and healing to people around us. You ought not to feel guilty about your privilege. You ought to leverage your privilege. I like that, Vanessa. You ought to leverage your privilege. Use your privilege. Use your power to help other people get to where God is calling them to be. When you see racism, you should call against it. When you see sexism, you should call against it. When you see ageism, you should call against it. When you see genderism, you should call against it. When you see, um, um, when you see all other forms of injustice, just because it doesn't affect you doesn't mean that you ought to do do nothing about it. You have a privilege. If you're on this side of the Jordan, you don't sit and enjoy it. You thank God for it. Continue to build what God has given you, but make sure you help your other brothers and sisters cross the Jordan. Make sure you cross the Jordan with your other brothers and sisters. Make sure you're helping establish them as well. Make sure they have the same opportunities that you have. Make every effort. I'm not talking about simply because I think we have this. This. Oh, man, I'm going to rant now. We have. What I would call an egocentric outreach and mission. I'm going to stop. OK, I'm going to stop. It's my last thing because I know you guys got to go. We have an egocentric outreach and an egocentric mission explain to you what i mean by that for those of us who let's say have more money you know we don't have to worry about the you know the bills and we're more established our ego can easily make us feel guilty about god's blessing But then our response to it is to satisfy the guilt of the blessing 
by going out and giving money to someone or going and let me just go pay for someone's bill because doing that feeds, heals, and satiates the ego. Did you hear that? I find that often even in churches, we have missions efforts that are ego-driven. We make the reason why we go and help those people in Haiti or helping those kids in Burkina Faso or helping those people in India or in Africa. We make it that because we have it so much better than them, then we ought to give them a portion of what we have. And so what we do is we don't really glorify God or Christ in it. We're just satisfying our guilt. It's an ego-centric mission. So what do we do to feel better about ourselves? <laughs> There's this thing that I call outreach porn. <laughs> I call it missional porn, where we take all these pictures with all these poor kids. And so we feel better about ourselves because we help these poor kids and these poor people. And so it's an ego-centric mission. Because guess what? Going out once a year on a mission trip to give out food doesn't actually heal the people. It just gives them a momentary... Uh, it, it addresses a momentary pain and a momentary hurt. It never really addresses the actual brokenness because a part of us in our egocentrism thinks if I go and just help these people, they're, they're not as smart as me. They're not as intelligent as me. They're not as gifted as us. They're not as privileged as us. These poor little people that need our help, we've all fallen into it. I used to be that person as well. I used to be the person where when we used to feed the homeless, I used to think, oh my God, those poor little homeless people, they need us. And so because they're so poor and so homeless, and that's not crossing the Jordan. <laughs> that's not crossing the Jordan. That's egocentric outrage. And many churches fall into an egocentric outreach effort. Now, it doesn't mean you don't help people who are hungry. But if all you do is just feed the hungry once a week and you leave, are you really crossing the Jordan with them? Church, do we cross the Jordan with the poor? Do we cross the Jordan with the motherless and the fatherless? Do we cross the Jordan with the politically oppressed? Do we cross the Jordan? I don't know if anybody's hearing what I'm saying here. Crossing the Jordan is not simply throw something at them, but crossing the Jordan is to actually enter in with them. 
And the way it begins is in our hearts. Let me explain to you what I mean. The way it begins is in our heart. If you see those poor kids in Africa, what do you see? Do you see a child of God who is of equal dignity and equal value as you? When you see that poor child in Haiti, do you see someone who can't help themselves or do you see someone who wasn't given the opportunity to? When you see, when we're talking about, you know, racial justice, when you see your white brother, do you see your white brother and your white sister as someone who is created in the image of God along with you? When you see your black brother, your black sister, do you simply see them as someone who just can't get it together? Let's just help them a little bit and send them away. This is why our church's welfare systems look very much like the world's welfare systems. Because we're not crossing the Jordan with them. We're just simply throwing stuff at them. People ask, well, why doesn't the welfare system work? The welfare system doesn't work. In many ways, the welfare system doesn't work because the welfare system does not see the inherent dignity and the value and the people that it serves. That these people are equally intelligent, equally gifted, equally creative, equally capable. They just didn't get the same opportunity as you. You see, you are on this side of the Jordan. And if they were on this side of the Jordan with you, they would be right where you are. The only difference between you and them is that you're on this side of the Jordan. So what do you do? You don't feel guilty about being on this side of the Jordan. The scriptures say they were glad that they were given this blessing. You don't feel guilty about being on this side of the Jordan. But if you're on this side of the Jordan, though, you don't stay here by yourself. He said, leave the children and the families behind. Let them build the wealth. Let them build their, their city. Let them. But the ones who can go and fight, send them across the Jordan to fight. Do we really fight for poverty? Do we actually cross the river? And this is not, I, I want to make sure you guys, you, you understand. I'm not here to make anyone feel guilty. This is a word of conviction, even for me. How much do I do? do I, am I actually crossing the Jordan? As a man, particularly now saying this yesterday, as a man in the church, I'm beginning to see the toxic masculinity and the inherent sexism in the church. We've turned, we, 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 we've, We've, we've taken the doctrine of uh, complementarianism and we've used it to propagate this overly masculine women demeaning and demoting agenda rather than a God-glorifying representation of what the body of Christ looked like. And yet I'm a man who gets to enjoy that privilege. I get to be seen in a lot of ways as somehow better than a woman in the church. So what do I do with that? 
Am I speaking up? Am I actually crossing the Jordan with my fellow women? Am I fighting for their rights even in the church? Am I fighting for them to be used in the gifts that God has given them? Am I, am I fighting for those people as a man who has privilege? Because I do have privilege. Where I have privilege, am I fighting for those I have privilege over? I want you right now just to think for a moment about the privilege that you have. Some of you have, you have a privilege of some sort. Black, white, man, woman, brown, whatever race or nation, there's people from all around the world here. And yet there's a privilege you have. And my question for you is, is if you're on this side of the Jordan, what are you doing to represent God? and to take those who are on this side and need to cross over. There's no more room on this side of the Jordan, but there's plenty of blessing on that side. What am I doing to help them, to go where they are, to cross with them? Who are you called to cross with? So that scripture that is so famous that a lot of Christians like to point out in verse 23. But if you do not do so, then take note, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. Anybody ever heard that verse? Anybody who's ever said, be sure your sin will find you out. They use that verse all the time. Be sure your sin will find you out. Meaning your sin, eventually they're going to catch you in your sin. That's actually not what it, that's not what this verse says. Your sin will find you out, spoke into their sin of not crossing the Jordan along with those who need to cross the Jordan, who need your help on the other side to fight for them. I have white brothers and uh, I have white brothers, white sisters, black brothers, black sisters, Hispanic brothers, Hispanic sisters. I've got Indian brothers and Indian sisters. I've got them all. I've had conversations with um, some of my closest uh, brothers and sisters are white. And I love, I just love my brothers and sisters. And what I love the most about our relationship is that we can have honest conversations with them. And you know, I told some of my white brothers and my white sisters, I said to them, you know, there's some people that you can go and speak to LGBT as well. LGBT as well. I don't care if you agree with their lifestyle. You can agree that they're li- you can agree or I'm sorry, you can disagree with their lifestyle. I I know where I stand on the scripture, on the LGBTQ community. I know where I stand on the scripture, but in no way should any human being be treated less than. And it's sad. It's a travesty that the church treats people who are of the LGBTQ community as less than. And it's sad that the church keeps a blind eye to how the world treats people who have been made in the image of God. 
And it's sad that we take preference over some sin over another. It's not to say that we tolerate it. But do you love your neighbor? I've told my black brothers, no, sorry, my white brothers, I've said to them, you know, there's some places when you go to, I need you to speak for me. Because if it comes out of my mouth, it's going to come off a certain way. But you have a privilege and access to something I do not. There are things you can say that I can't. And in the same way, there are places that you're going to go. It's better for me to speak on your behalf. Because there's some things that I can say that you can't say. <laughs> I have privilege too. So where I have privilege, I need to use it to reconcile mankind and all humanity. And where you have privilege, you need to use it. And I've called out my white brothers and white sisters. I say, hey, yo, yo, you should have said something there. Because I can't say it. Because if I say it, I'm the angry black man. But if you say it, people will listen. You have privilege. You have access. I need you to fight with me. I need you to fight with me. I need you to cross the Jordan with me. Where there's economic injustice, for those of us who have it, we need to fight. We need to cross the Jordan with them. I know I'm ranting. I know I'm like, wow, I'm 30 minutes over time. My goodness. Sorry, Ellison. But we need to cross the Jordan. If you're not going to cross the Jordan, he says here, but if you do not do so, then take note. You have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. Cross the Jordan. <laughs> Cross the Jordan. Father, I ask that you would uh, compel us today, Lord. As we have engaged in your word, compel us, Lord. For those of us who are on this side of the Jordan, Lord, to cross the Jordan. To cross the Jordan for those who need help on the other side of the Jordan. To cross the Jordan for those who, who need us to fight on their behalf. To cross the Jordan for those who need us to fight with them. Father, I pray that you would give us conviction to know who we've been called to fight for. To speak justice for to speak righteousness for. Lord, we thank you for this time that you've given us together. Lord, bless us, Lord, as we uh, journey on this day, Lord. Allow us, Lord, to digest and reflect and to marinate on this word. And we ask that in your name we pray. Amen. <laughs>